You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. Emma Choi is the host of NPR's weekly short-form comedy podcast, Everyone and Their Mom. She is the youngest host at NPR and currently in her final year at Harvard University. In January of 2021, she was an intern for the NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Initially, she was told that she couldn't be hard since she was a college student, but apparently her PowerPoint prowess led her to working with the Wait Wait team to create Everyone and Their Mom, which began airing in February 2022. She's a second-generation Korean-American. Emma is definitely a trailblazer with a quirky sense of humor. I especially enjoyed the episodes of Everyone and Their Mom that she did about the job of a grizzly bear conflict manager and the one about how her grandmother's kimchi could be improved. She spoke to me about what it's been like working at NPR and why she did a satanic Tickle Me Elmo impression during her internship interview. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by Natoa. The North America Taiwanese Women's Association, NATOA, was founded in 1988, and its mission is 1. To evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. 2. To oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality. 3. To fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. 4. To contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. 5. To reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATOA, visit their website www.natwa.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. Hi Emma, welcome to the podcast. Hi Felicia, nice to see you. Great. Yeah. So as I was preparing to interview you, of course, I did a little bit of research and um, I came across your Twitter account and I saw that one of your recent tweets said that you're recording credits for your show in an airplane bathroom. What's up with that? Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot to record it the day before I started traveling and like we really need it on Tuesdays. But the okay. one thing about our show is like, a lot like we can get away with a lot of stuff so my producer was like hey like just go into the bathroom take your neck pillow and like try to make a sound booth and just record these credits real quick uh and it worked out to be really fun so yeah that was a fun experience <laughs> i'm sure you get this question a lot but what is it like being the youngest person to ever host an npr show i mean I don't know. I kind of just feel like I'm me and I don't really think of myself like that a lot. Um, but I really love my job. And I mean, I don't like we're pretty isolated. Like, wait, wait, don't tell me is in Chicago while like the rest of NPR is in DC. And then like my team is mostly virtual. So I don't get a lot of interaction with like the rest of NPR, which is nice because it's a little more sheltered. Um, so I don't really feel that a lot, but it's definitely strange to be the youngest person on my team um, and be the host. So that's something I'm still trying to adjust to. Yeah, because a lot of what I read is like this whole thing about how NPR is this institution. They're really trying to attract like a younger audience. And like, I'm sure that you're part of that effort. And so like, do you see anything um, changing at NPR or things that they're doing to attract a younger audience? 
I mean, I guess like my show is, is a very visual thing of, you know, um, you know, catering to the past generation and while well, also speaking to people my age. Um, but I think a lot of media companies are, are looking ahead at not like, not just specifically a Gen Z, but just like thinking about what entertainment looks like now and what, what representation looks like now. Um, so I think that more diverse representation is often labeled as like, oh, this is for the Gen Zers, but like representation is for everyone and like everyone could enjoy that. Speaking of that, I also saw that um, last month you spoke at the Asian American Journalists Association. What was that like? It was great. It's my first time doing a big speech like that. Um, and they were just like, talk about your life. Um, I, I was definitely not qualified to give the keynote because I don't even think of myself as a journalist. Um, but I ended up just giving, I give a PowerPoint presentation every week and it's just the way I know how to do public speaking. So I made like a really fun PowerPoint and just kind of talked about, um, how I got my job, what my show is about and like things that are important to me, like, um, you know, paying your social media managers and, uh, being in a union and making sure representation is, you know, not just for a show, but something that people actually devote themselves to and, and follow up on. Who would be your dream guests um, to have on your show? Because I'm sure like with NPR, you have a lot of clout and I'm just guessing you could probably almost get anybody that you wanted, right? <laughs> not anyone. It's, <laughs> there's some guests that like celebrities that we know, like our booker Nancy is just like the best booker ever. She's fantastic. And she also knows like kind of like who's a fan of NPR, who's not. Um, but I mean, my, my dream guest is always like Mindy Kaling or Japanese breakfast. Cause I just like, but I also like don't want to meet them because you know, they say like never meet your heroes. So I'm a little afraid to meet them, but it's, there's a difference between meeting someone and interviewing someone. And I would love, love, love for them be, to be on our show. Yeah. How fun would that be? Yeah. It'd be crazy. <laughs> Um, I'm curious to know, where does your sense of humor and quick wit come from? Does it come from, like, is there anybody else in your family like that's like this? Or where do you think it comes from? I mean, I just have a really fun family. Like, that's part of the reason why we love having my family on the show so much. Like, my mom is just hilarious. And my dad, I think just like keeping up in my family, like with my siblings and my, my parents, like gave me a sense of humor. Uh, I don't know. I consumed a lot of comedy growing up, but for me, it's not like I'm always trying to be funny. I just kind of, I just talk a lot and I don't, sometimes I'm kind of a loose cannon. So I just say whatever I think, which can get me in trouble. But um, I don't know. I, I just, I think for someone who talks a lot, it's just, I'm just used to it. Yeah. That's funny. Cause um, I did actually listen to a few of your episodes and uh, one of them that sticks out since you're talking about your family is the one that you touched upon your grandma's kimchi recipe and yeah. how she's very good at making kimchi. <laughs> so I guess it wasn't that hard to get your mom or your grandma onto the episode because I thought for some people that could be kind of like an embarrassing thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. My parents are just so down. And like, I think that like um, the same part of my parents who like, love to entertain and have dinner parties and have people over is the same side of them that are, you know, great for radio. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's, I mean, it's just a lot of fun to have them on the show. Yeah. And speaking of being a loose cannon, I heard through my source that connected us. Oh, <laughs> is Uncle it Chris, true that, 
Yes, Uncle Chris. <laughs> Is it true that you did a Tickle Me Elmo impression in your interview for NPR, <laughs> like with your internship or something? <laughs> he remembered that? That's so funny. Yeah, I when I get nervous, I talk a lot. Like during my Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me interview, I just talked a ton. Uh, yeah, the um, I just I didn't know what to do when the interview was over. And there was like an Elmo on his desk. And I'm like, ah, ha, ha, like, uh, ever seen that video? Of course, he's like a 75-year-old white man. He had never seen that video. And I'm like, you that video where there's a satanic Elmo? And he goes like, tickle me, Elmo. And the guy, my interviewer, just kind of looked at me. And I'm like, thanks for your time. And then I just walked out. Uh, <laughs> but he liked it. He thought I had a sense of humor. <laughs> so could have gone uh, very badly in the other direction. But luckily, it worked out. We've got a special announcement for you. On November 5th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be hosting a special live online event for you to meet master cartoonist Guy Gilchrist, who is best known for drawing the Muppets comic strip. Register for the event at TalkingTaiwan.com forward slash news. Guy is going to be doing what he does best, drawing your favorite classic cartoon characters, Looney Tunes, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Disney, or even Sesame Street. He'll demonstrate how you can draw a cartoon character yourself. The best part is that Guy is generously offered to donate all of his drawings from that night. If you want a chance to win, just make a donation of $25 or more on Talking Taiwan's GoFundMe page. It's hilarious. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I've definitely, I've listened to a few episodes, as I mentioned, and I know that most of the episodes are usually about 20 minutes, mm -hmm. but within each episode, there are little segments and you interview several different people. So I know that it definitely takes more than 20 minutes to get all this done. Like, can you tell me like what goes into that? Like, how long does it take to produce an episode how do you get it all done are you the one scripting everything uh, do you have a team that helps you I'm yeah just wondering how that works sure sure yeah I think there's not a lot of <laughs> not everyone knows how yeah anyways um we have a team we have a team of how many is it now I'm technically part-time since I'm still in school but then we have like three four full-time employees um Hala Zola Haley Zola and Mills, Jennifer Mills and Nancy. But we have a lot of crossover between our show and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So some people switch back and forth between our shows. And then we have some consultants who work on our stuff too. Um, I, and like, I feel very, very lucky because they're so great. And we also have uh, like a full um, female and non-binary writing room, which is very, very rare for any space, I think. Um, so like, that's a really cool environment that I get to, you know, make stuff in. Um, and then the division is pretty equal. I mean, uh, Haley, one of our producers, does all the editing along with Mills. And then I write my own stuff and I help write other. It's kind of all over. Um, and yeah, I'm a producer on the show as well. Uh, but yeah, it takes, I mean, it takes a lot. We have way more tape than we use every week for a 20 minute episode. We end up having to cut like half the episode to make it down to 20 minutes. Um, but it's just like, I don't know, it's a ton of fun to have so much great raw material and then really make it dense and something that we want people to spend 20 minutes listening to. Right. And are you the one that pretty much gets to guide what the episode is about and the direction of it? I mean, I, I have a pretty big say as I'm the host, but our writer's room is very, you know, democratic. Um, 
our supervising producer, Jennifer, is the one who really leads us and helps us find our direction. But like we have pitch meetings where everyone pitches what they like. And um, at the end of the day, it's kind of like what Mills thinks is the most fruitful for us with the most directions and is the most us and what I'm most excited about because I, I just don't have a poker face. So if I'm not interested in the topic, it just won't be a fun episode. So it's kind of the combination of those two things. How much of your podcast is improvised or ad-libbed? Um, hard to say. It is like a talk radio thing. So like, we're not scripting like what I'm going to say in response. The thing is, I'm terrible at reading off things. I just sound like, an, I don't sound like a person anymore. So we figured out the best way for me to do stuff is for me to write out stuff beforehand. And then Mills comes in and she bullet points it. So I can just read it through like a PowerPoint. But yeah, like all of our conversations with the panelists, we have like broad topics that we want to talk about, but the panelist doesn't get to see the story beforehand. Um, and I just kind of say whatever I want. <laughs> and the thing about, I have a, I have a pretty good memory because I'm just like, I do school all the time. So I'm still in school mode. So at our meetings like people pitch jokes and we we talk about that and I have a lot of that in my head so I can like I use my writer's jokes uh during talking and stuff it was a lot what Peter Sagel does during wait wait I learned a lot from him about like how to do a mix of my own material and and picking up on things from our writer's rooms I read in the crimson that during the pandemic you wrote a 400 page book Spanning yeah. three generations of Korean women, quote, exploring how we carry folklore and trauma in our bloodlines. Do you have any ambitions to be a book author or maybe to publish that book? <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm not sure about that book. It was the first long form thing I've ever written. But writing is something that I definitely will never like disappear from my life um, because, you know, I'm. I'm equally interested in, in comedy and in writing, but I think while comedy jobs come and go, I can't imagine like not ever writing. So yeah, I mean, I'm definitely looking towards finding an agent one day and publishing novels and uh, being able to do that too. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Oh, it's actually funny. I just recall that I just last week interviewed a Korean from New Zealand who mm. is a why author now so she's going to be one of our guests on the podcast cool um, so yeah kind of funny i also read in this vanity fair article about your experience with the harvard lampoon can you talk about that a little bit and the criticisms that you have about it yeah i mean i kind of feel like i said everything i wanted to say in the vanity fair profile too but i know i learned a lot from um being at an institution famous for comedy um, and learning how hard it is to be a woman in power. I've never experienced so much gendered language and and honestly racist treatment before. Um, so it just makes me like that much more grateful to work at NPR and a place that's actually like living, not just saying that they care about women of color, but like actually my experience like doing something about that um, and appreciating my like my really diverse writers room that much more. So yeah, it puts a lot of stuff in perspective. That's good to know because uh, I know that there's been some criticism about PBS and PBS being uh, very like white dominated, especially with the programming and the makeup of the people that work there. It's good to hear that NPR is not like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I've um, only been here for what, like a year and a half. So I don't know that much about everything, sure. but in my experience, like I've been very happy with the way I've been treated. Mm -hmm. Was there any fallout or do you know if things have changed with the Harvard Lampoon? 
I have no idea. I don't know. Um, honestly, last semester after my podcast started, I've just been <laughs> nose to the grindstone, trying to do classes, trying to make this podcast the best it can be. Uh, so I haven't had a lot of time for things outside of my schoolwork and, and this podcast. So yeah. Yeah, it must be really demanding. So where do you see yourself going with all this? Would you like to expand this? Or would you like to one day have your own, uh, like a talk show, you know, like, things that come to mind are like, you know, the late night with Jimmy Fallon or the Daily Show or something like that? I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I'm graduating in a year and like these yeah. thoughts are starting to come like, what do I want to do? Yeah. Um, and I have like many existential crises about it. But my friends remind me that like, you know, I have, I'm like, I have a job already, you know, and like, I don't know what's happening with this podcast. I don't know what's happening with me, but um so I, I don't know. I guess like I'm just trying to kind of like get through this year and then and then see. Um, but I just know that I want to keep writing like both novels and my comedy. And um, I realized over the past year that like I used to think I wanted to be like I was like I want to be famous. Like I want to I want to have my own show. I want people to know me. But like. I'm also a very anxious person and I don't love being perceived. I would just radio is great because I don't have to show my face. Um, and I figured out what really matters to me is like giving people space that wouldn't necessarily get space in the mainstream. Like that's another reason why I love our show is because like we don't ask that anyone talks about their uh, minority experience. We just, it's enough to have them on our show and let them be themselves. And that's something I found really powerful. Um, so I think that's a new thing I'm interested to is like not necessarily being the star of the show, but like doing work behind the scenes to allow other people to shine. Is there anything else that you want to share with my audience about you, your experience podcasting or something we haven't covered? I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm just, I don't like, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people ask me a lot of stuff like, uh, you know, what's it like to be Asian? And what's it like, like to be like you? And like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of like being me and trying to make something I like with my friends, um, which is maybe minimalizing, minimizing how hard it is to make this podcast um, and how rewarding it is. But um, I don't know. I like my job <laughs> and I, I'm just trying to keep going. But I say good for you because you found something that allows you to do something that you like that is represents you and that you're happy with. How many people can really honestly say that besides not hating their job, but how many people can really say that they enjoy their job and their job allows them to be who they are? You know? Yeah, I'm, I feel really lucky about that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I hope my show goes on for 37 more seasons. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, for now, like, um, I hope people like it. Cause I, I really do. Great. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, well, my show airs every Wednesday. It's on the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me feed. Uh, and my Instagram and Twitter are both emma.unju, um, where I post stuff occasionally. So, yeah, that's, I guess, where you would find me. Okay, great. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Emma. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I've been speaking with Emma Choi, the host of the NPR weekly comedy podcast, Everyone and Their Mom. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATOA was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. 
to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.